Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. You know, a lot of times people think about heart disease, and it is a very important thing to worry about, this being February, Valentine's Day month. And we always think about ways that you prevent heart disease by working on your cholesterol, working on your blood sugar, working on your blood pressure. But what about working on stress? Can you actually have a problem with your heart related to stress or related to being having a broken heart? Well, technically, yes, you can. And today I am joined by Kate Deans. She is a cardiology nurse practitioner expert working at Polymomy, and she's working in the hospital. And she has seen this particular diagnosis, Takasubo cardiomyopathy, and has a lot to say on what people don't realize when they're having heart symptoms, and yet they don't have those other risk factors. It really could be a serious condition. You can actually die of literally a broken heart. So thank you for joining me today on the show today. Yeah, Thank you, Dr. Kozak, for inviting me to talk about this interesting cardiac uh, diagnosis. It is, you know, and I think for many years, people thought, no, 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 it doesn't happen. You either have a serious blockage and you have that blockage erupt and cause, you know, damage to the blood vessel and thus block blood flow to your heart. But, you know, that's that's how you get a heart attack. And that's the only way. And there's no way if your arteries are clear that you could have a problem. But, nah, Yeah, that's correct. They're actually now defining heart attacks into different categories. So um, the primary one would be coronary artery disease or acute thrombosis of the artery. But now they're subcategorizing them into other things that put stress or strain on the heart that can actually cause um, these elevated uh, heart damage markers. So what do you think is, what are some of those other syndromes? You know, I know that years ago, I remember I had this, as always, usually fairly embarrassing episode where I had checked in, you know, weird things happen to doctors all the time. So I had checked in to go have this like pre-employment physical and, and I checked in and it was an eight o'clock appointment and I came a little early and time was going by and I kept saying, is it my turn yet? And I go up to the front desk, no, 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 go have a seat. So finally lunchtime came. It was new. And I'm like, all right, I'm a patient person, but I am not this patient. So I went up to the front desk and I said, I have been here for four and a half hours. What's going on? And they said, oh, oh, we forgot to tell the doctor you showed up. Well, why didn't you tell us earlier? And I'm like, I did. And they're like, well, why didn't you get more insistent? I'm like, because I read an article about type A people having heart attacks more than others. And I think I'm type A. So it was this moment when I realized, hey, you know, they were looking at personality issues as having a higher risk of cardiovascular disease. And yet, at that time, it was just really doing studies. And, you know, this was in the in the mid-90s, so they were mm-hmm. mainly the studies were in men. But they were just looking at people who were, quote, stressed out a lot. They could, they could have a higher rate of having heart problems, but they Correct. didn't really have a better definition of that. So now there's different categories. Tell me about the categories. So there's a coronary artery disease, and then there's other sort of stress-related things that happen to your heart. Like, what else happens to your heart? And is it true those type A people are in trouble? Am I still in trouble? (laughs) Well, certainly when uh, you're a stressed person or there's something special that happens, your body and mind and heart are all connected. And so, you know, you get stressed, you release adrenaline into your body, which then subsequently will raise your blood pressure. 
And if you're one of these people that lives in like a high stress state all the time and you're constantly having this like adrenaline surging through your body and increasing other stress hormones that then raise your blood pressure, cause you to retain sodium and things like that, um, just will increase your blood pressure, put more stress and strain on the heart. It's just not good. No, it's not good. It's like, don't keep using your horn. (laughs) Right. You know, because beeping the horn at traffic in front of you does not make them go any faster. Correct. So if you find that you've lived in Hawaii for the last couple of years, if not two decades, and you still use your horn, you got a problem. <laughs> Kate, I still use my horn occasionally. All right. I'm one of those people. I never people. hear horns here. I'm from yeah. Boston originally. so And you don't even use the horn, so <laughs> no. you're so much better than me. Okay. So stress can cause you to have this release of adrenaline. So this, And we all know what that feels like. I mean, if you've ever been in a situation where, you know, you almost had an accident or or you had to run real fast, or something, a, a loud noise happened in your house and you thought it was something scary, oftentimes that will release this adrenaline surge. Correct. So if it's, if it's a one-time occasional event, that's not going to get you in trouble. But are there some people who live with this chronic stress, chronic adrenaline release of, of those stress hormones, and is that part of the problem? No, not necessarily with Takasubo's cardiomyopathy um they get their own special problem (laughs) yeah okay yeah so i mean so certainly with the takasubo's cardiomyopathy the person might have received some kind of terrible news that they had a family member suddenly pass away or maybe they found out that you know they have to close their business or they're losing their house or and one experience we had a patient who which her uh she was watching her car get towed in front of her, which may seem like not that big of a deal, but to her, she was in a position where she couldn't physically move the car and she was waiting for people to move it and she didn't have the financial means to be able to get it out of the impound. So then when you compound all those, you can see how that would be some kind of stressful situation where suddenly you just get this this surge of these stress hormones that can really stress out the heart. But it's not necessarily, Takasubo is not really related to like chronic daily So it's not stress chronic people. stress. No. Those people have their own type A Correct. issues. They've yeah. got some other category <laughs> of trouble. Right. And I understand that. Yeah. But it's a different sort of yeah. emotional Correct. distress. The, the other way that people refer to it is truly broken heart syndrome. Correct. Yeah. So what do you think goes on in the body that's leading to this event? Is there a release of some other type of a hormone? Is there something that causes the heart muscles to just function differently? Do we even know enough about this to know what's going on? Well, yeah, there's a couple of different theories. Um, I, looking at the patient population who usually developed this broken heart syndrome, it's usually more often than not postmenopausal women um, and less likely in men. So out of 100,000 patients, maybe five of them would develop this. Females would develop this, and less than one man would develop this in 100,000. So about a five-to-one female-to-male ratio. So then um, some of the theories are that, so in your, if you think of your left ventricle, which is the main pumping chamber, the heart that pumps the blood out to the body, it's shaped somewhat like a football normally. But if you cut off like one end of the football and then you got like the pointy end is the bottom and we call that the the apex of the heart. Um, so then when this 
stress hormones are released, there's little receptors inside the left ventricle. And normally, you know, you get your adrenaline surge, it would kind of these stress hormones would tell the the heart pump to pump stronger, pump faster. And those what those are what those receptors are. But when you get this adrenaline surge, um, some say that there's even four to five times more adrenaline in these types of situations than maybe normal situations. And it just overwhelms the heart and the heart just doesn't know what to do with that. And it kind of just like balloons out. So instead of taking uh, from going from that football shape, it goes to the shape of like a, a well, it was described first initially in Japan as like a octopus trap. So that's what the name Takasubo comes from. An octopus trap. <laughs> yeah. That explains that that seriously yeah. that explains a lot, which is a really strange thing. Okay. But basically it's like a vase where the the bottom part, the pointy part of the heart has now become like a big balloon and right. then it narrows at the kind of like a water balloon kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And then it just doesn't pump effectively in the the patient goes into heart failure, has arrhythmias and things like that. There's some other suggestion that because of the predilection for these menopausal women, that maybe the loss of the estrogen hormones makes them more susceptible to these adrenergic surges, as well as they have less responsiveness to your parasympathetic system, which is your like rest and digest kind of body response. Yeah, but then I'd wonder, you know, why do the men get off so easy? <laughs> I mean, I would just think to myself, well, yeah. they don't have a lot of estrogen, so then they have testosterone. Right. So the, Shouldn't uh, they get more of this? <laughs> exactly. That theory is not totally accepted. Um, other possible theories are, like you said, uh, coronary artery basal spasm. The surge could cause the heart arteries to spasm. Um, or even possibly some microemboli could cause these small heart attacks where when you're in a high adrenergic state, you um, increase risk for throm- thrombotic events and stuff. Wow. Lots of things that we're learning today. What is broken heart syndrome? And, you know, more importantly, if you get it, how do you know it? And, and I guess the other way is how do you avoid it? I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Kate Deans. She is a cardiology nurse practitioner, and she is a specialist in the inpatient setting at Polymomy Medical Center. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about this particular condition and what are some of the signs or symptoms and what you should be careful not to ignore to make sure that you get it checked out if you have a serious condition and not just go home and wait for it to go away. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Kate Deans. She is a nurse practitioner in the cardiology inpatient area at Polymomy Medical Center. She's been there for at least a little over five years now, huh? Yep, that's correct. So you've seen this syndrome a couple of times, this mm-hmm. broken heart syndrome, or I'm, I'm glad for the, for the explanation, the Takasubo cardiomyopathy and where that word comes from. When you've described the one case where someone saw their car being towed, mm-hmm. is there any other situation or scenario that you recall that kind of stuck in your mind of someone who has had this? Uh, we had a young woman who was premenopausal who um, her husband called her to ask her to pick her up at a bar 
and then she went to pick him up and he she found him engaged with another woman and that put on her you know that put her into okay so know. the husband says come pick me up at a bar <laughs> yeah. and she goes to the bar and she sees him with another woman right and he has the nerve right to call the wife to pick him up yeah oh so. I don't think that uh, yeah that uh, that I could picture causing a huge <laughs> surge of something and adrenaline would be one of those things. Yeah. So that sort of significant emotional event, mm-hmm. boom. Do you feel the symptoms immediately? Is it the same as if you were having what we think of as a heart attack symptom? Like we think pain in the center of your chest and short of breath and nauseous and maybe sweaty and those classic coronary artery disease symptoms. Is that it, or yeah. do they experience something different? No, it's a absolutely. What people present with, um, which makes people, you know, when you go to the hospital and you tell them I'm having chest pain, I'm short of breath. Um, things happen quickly. Things happen quickly. And, you know, oftentimes as providers, you know, we just see, you know, sometimes the patients may be embarrassed to say like, hey, I just caught my husband cheating or I just lost my house or, you know, other personal things that have put stress on them. So sometimes we don't you know, when we do all the workup for coronary artery disease and they find out they don't have any coronary artery disease, then we kind of ask, like, well, has anything recently happened, you know, that maybe caused some significant stress or strain? Things like that. And then it might come out, and then hey, it might right go- before yeah. this happened, guess what's right. going on? Correct. So, it, you know, a lot of times we'll say to someone, does this happen with activity? Does it happen? Were you exercising? And in yeah. this case, the answer is no. It's it's some emotional event of significant distress. Right. And that's what leads people down this path. Now, you mentioned there's a couple of potential theories, and I guess part of the trouble would be a lot of these folks, if you present to the hospital and you say, and you go to the emergency room, I have chest pain, mm-hmm. you know, they'll do a workup, they'll do some blood tests, they'll do laboratory studies. And would you often see some of these cardiac markers, we call them troponin or maybe a Correct. CK, creatinine kinase, do those elevate during yep. this acute episode? They will elevate. You'll even get EKG changes. You'll get like the whole a heart deal. attack. Correct. Yep. And you might even be taken to the cath lab. You can get arrhythmias. You will be taken to the cath lab because it's a diagnosis of exclusion. You're going. So yeah. you're going. You're getting an angiogram. Yeah. And then everybody goes, okay, <clears throat> uh, this is probably a big blockage in whatever artery they think, yeah. depending on the distribution on suggested by your EKG. And then everything looks okay. Correct. So somebody says, what? Your heart arteries are clean. Right. So So what's going on? And then that's when you come to the diagnosis. Well, yeah, then we get usually get a heart ultrasound or sometimes uh, during the heart cath procedure, they'll inject x-ray dye into the left ventricle and then we watch it pump and we can see that shape, the octopus trap shape of the left ventricle. And then we say, oh, okay, this is probably Takasubo's. Then we ask the patient, has anything happened recently that puts stress, um, you know, anything emotional or, you know, recent you know, sure. And events. I'd be like, yeah, I'm here as a patient. That would be stressful <laughs> enough. I'm right. usually in the other end of this. So, okay, so that would definitely cause me a lot of stress. Yeah. And I'm certain would cause other people stress. Is it treated differently? I mean, when we think about how, I mean, obviously, if you have no problem with blood flow in your arteries, you're not going to get a stent. There's nothing right. to, to open up or stent. Mm-hmm. So what else happens? Once somebody has this diagnosis, maybe there's that classic pattern on their echocardiogram or if, you know, that would be that heart ultrasound you referred to or on that angiogram where they take a look at that left ventricle area. Once you diagnose that, 
what do you, what's different about their treatment medically than what would be for somebody who has the blockage that you mm-hmm. open up with a stent or have surgery or some other type of sequelae? Uh, it's almost treated the same. We probably wouldn't use any blood thinners. Maybe you would get an aspirin, but at most it's more about protecting the heart because it's now in like a weakened state. So you'd want to use medicines called beta blockers, which kind of prevent um, the heart from getting overexcited. Um, And then also ACE inhibitors or angiotensin receptor blockers, which kind of help the neurohormonal effects of, of hormones that raise the blood pressure. And that also protects the heart in the in the weakened state. Well, um, and those beta blockers also help to prevent arrhythmias, those funny heart yeah. rhythms that if your heart is enlarged, they're susceptible to. That is And correct. those heart rhythms can sometimes be very serious, if not mm-hmm. uh, could be fatal. So you have to make sure that you address that with yeah. some of the medications. That would be, uh, so some patients come in really severe um, heart failure and really symptomatic and their heart pump may be very weak. Sometimes we have to use other they get put in ICU, we may have to use balloon pump, which is a special device that's put in to help rest the heart. Kind of does the pumping for it. Yeah, essentially. Um, And then also these patients are at higher risk for arrhythmia, like you mentioned. And these arrhythmias can be dangerous and even cause sudden cardiac death. So it's potentially even if after discharge you could go home with like they have these life vests, which are like external defibrillators like a vest that you wear that could protect you from any of these arrhythmias. And is there an anticipation that someone who has this diagnosis, it does it always improve? Does it sometimes improve? I mean, I guess it depends on the effect on the heart. So right. when we do this particular measurement, you know, they measure your heart to see how much it pumps. Normal pumping percent would be about 55, 65% of blood from that mm-hmm. left ventricle we're talking about uh, comes out with each squeeze. And the reason you don't squeeze out 100% is because you don't want to create a vacuum in there. So each yeah. time the heart pumps, you bring out about 55, 65%. That's considered normal. Is there a definition of, of this particular Takasubo cardiomyopathy? Is it anything below 45%? Could it even go down to like 10 to 15% depending on the situation? Uh, yeah, certainly, depending on how sick the patients are um, and what their other comorbidities are, um, meaning like if they have other risk factors for heart disease, hypertension, or they're there. Sometimes patients are there for other reasons as well, and they also happen to have this Takasubo. So it could be in addition to, you might right. still have that profile of the patient who would get coronary artery disease, but right. it just so happens that's not what's causing this episode. Right. So I was recently reading a meta-analysis of like 6,000 patients. They said the average ejection fraction drops to about 40%. But yeah, we've seen it less than that. And we've seen it even a little bit more than that. But still take, there's different variants of the Takasubos and the pattern. It, it shows up on the heart ultrasound. So depending on the pattern, it may allude to the duration of symptoms. And you mentioned that mm-hmm. someone would get this life vest. So in some cases, when people have really bad heart function, mm-hmm. they will be told you might need an implantable defibrillator. And that's something where they have to go in and actually put it inside your body. Right. But for those folks for whom there's a thought, maybe you might recover or right. maybe you won't need this permanently. There's sort of this external device that you can wear so that if your heart stops pumping correctly, that this, or stops, I'm sorry, beating correctly, not right. pumping, that this particular device would help to 
bring it back into a regular rhythm. You mentioned the life vest. Yes. It's, it's like a vest that could save your life. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. wear it. And then usually that's a shorter duration type of device because right. it's probably not. I've, I've never worn one, but I just can't imagine it would be the most comfortable thing. No. <laughs> and if it keeps shocking you, I can't imagine that would be fun. Right. So this would be something to be considered temporary. It could be considered, especially if the patient was having a lot of arrhythmias in the hospital setting. But uh, like you were mentioning earlier, there is a very high chance of you to re- fully recover without further sequelae of you know, any kind of heart disease process. And, but it can take anywhere from one week to four weeks, kind of depending on you know, your age and how healthy you are in general. <laughs> And what caused it? All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with nurse practitioner Kate Deans from Polymomy Medical Center. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about that recovery process and how to know if you're at risk for this and what you can do to make sure that you can maybe even mitigate getting this or or find ways to at least not, if you can avoid it, get in these situations that cause such a significant distress of your heart, literally breaking your heart. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm here with nurse practitioner Kate Deans. She is a cardiology inpatient specialist at Polymomy Medical Center, and she helps take care of folks when they come into the hospital with any sort of cardiac problem. Today, we're talking about Takasubo cardiomyopathy, otherwise commonly known as broken heart syndrome, literally your heart breaks down. It doesn't function the way it's supposed to. Now, at the top of the show, we talked a little bit about what this is and what your heart actually starts to look like. When you mentioned octopus traps, sort mm-hmm. of an interesting visual for people to consider. And we talked about you could present with the same exact symptoms as a heart attack. Same thing with all of those laboratory studies we do that show heart enzymes that increase. And also you can have EKG changes. You will probably go ahead, have that catheterization, that angiogram done to diagnose this. And then depending on the severity of the situation, you may need certain medications that will help to treat it so that you can hopefully recover. Now, you mentioned that one to four weeks. So Mm -hmm. someone could truly go from having an episode where their heart is pumping half of what it should and it recovers. Now, do you think it recovers because of all the medications? Does it recover because of the stress management? Does it recover because why? I mean, I'm just curious. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I'm sure the medications certainly help kind of blunt the response, especially if the person's having ongoing stress response or emotional uh, liability from whatever event, precipitating event. But um, I think it's just a matter of probably, it's just the initial emotional response. It's not, you know, like you hear this bad news, your son was killed in a car crash, and you just get this overwhelming, you know, immediate, you know, sense, surge, surge right, of whatever. Of everything that just causes so, your heart to shut down. Yeah, so I think it's just a matter of your body probably clearing out that and you dealing with the event, and then the medications, I'm sure, also help. If you get it once, are you more likely to get it again? Um, not likely. There's a very small chance, I think less than 10% chance of having recurrence. Uh, we did have one lady who's had like recurrent related to medical illnesses, but 
It was but always usually, like mild. Yeah, usually the second recurrence maybe not be as much as the first. And when you said it, it often manifests in women more than men, about a five right. to one ratio, and postmenopausal women mm-hmm. more than premenopausal women, although that's not 100% right. across the board. So when you're looking at that category of individuals, are there certain things that someone could do? I mean, I guess, how do you predict hearing horrible news? I, I You yeah. don't. <laughs> but is there something someone can do to, to help prepare themselves if they are more susceptible? Are there any characteristics that have been found in the studies that would suggest someone might be more susceptible to this? Like, I read the studies on type A people, and I'm like, okay, yeah. in trouble, <laughs> totally type A. But, you know, those are certain characteristics that I know that yeah. I exhibit. Are there any characteristics for this particular Takasubo cardiomyopathy? No, other Not than just being postmenopausal. And a majority of them also have cardiovascular risk factors like hypertension, high cholesterol, diabetes. So these other things in addition. In addition to, but not certain how much that plays into, you know, the actual event of the cardiomyopathy. And so you could recover from the cardiomyopathy Mm -hmm. and then actually have a heart attack, like a blockage-related heart attack later in life. Potentially, yeah. You could. And if you're on all those medications to prevent the Takasubo from recurring, some of those same medicines are given for traditional heart attacks. So you might actually, if this causes you to sort of get your blood pressure better, get your cholesterol lower, do more activity, you could actually prevent another problem. Right. It's kind of like a warning sign in a way. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, usually you... You are taken off the medications. If you don't need them anymore, your heart sure. recovers and you don't need, you know, your blood pressure is okay or whatnot. They usually, but if you do have high but, blood pressure at yeah. that point, you'd stay on it. Right. Now, if you do recover from this and you you recover 100% or, well, does everyone recover 100%? Is there a percent of people who don't? Um, there might be a small percentage of people who don't, but those people, like I said, are usually older, sicker, have all these other comorbidities or... Maybe have Something other issues going, going on, on right. that, you know, not, that not just usually maybe a, contributing, but it's not really the primary reason for the cause. And it's not really a permanent condition that right. we know of. So if somebody had this and they they did a follow-up with their provider and they had a repeat test done, maybe that heart ultrasound or echocardiogram, you could four to six weeks later see 100% recovery. Correct. And then that person might not need some of those medications. Yeah. Do you think, and again, this might be naive on my part and probably is, but do you think if people work on the the latest concept is sort of mindfulness, Mm -hmm. if they work on their reactions to stress, if they work on the ways in which they can try and manage serious stressful situations, whether or not they be, you know, (laughs) my type A friends and me, (laughs) or whether or not they be some other significant way that you respond to hearing bad news. I guess, is that even protective? Are we even at the point where we can talk about that? Yeah. I don't know if that would necessarily help. Uh, I mean, maybe if you have like a good family support around you and you hear bad news and you have people there for you, maybe it's, it's better. But, you know, I don't know. I just think if I were in that situation, someone gave me terrible news, news, like, I don't know if you can like inhibit your your natural response to 
If your natural response is to freak out about it and have this develop, that's your innate response. And so you can be as mindful as you want to be, but you can't, you can't meditate your way out of this one. No. Okay. Well, that's good because I've never been good at that either. I've tried. It just, you know, it's just not working. So, so if you think you have a problem, if you think you are at risk for this, or if you think that you're having chest pain and you're not Mm -hmm. quite sure what it is, first thing people should do. Uh, Well, if you're, I would come to the hospital. Go to the emergency room. <laughs> suddenly develop chest pain, shortness of breath, you're nauseous, you're dizzy, you're, you know, having, not feeling well. And and don't drive and, yourself. Yeah. <laughs> don't drive I mean, yourself. just don't. Like, that's why we yeah. have ambulances. Just don't drive yourself. Because there are some things that can actually be done in the ambulance that can be helpful for you. Mm-hmm. rather than just getting in the car and, God forbid, getting in traffic. So bad idea. Well, I want to thank you today for really sharing your expertise with us. Not a lot of people have heard about mm-hmm. Takasubo cardiomyopathy, otherwise known as broken heart syndrome. And you really have enlightened us quite a bit. And hopefully people will, if they have this, understand a little bit more about it and know what they can do to help themselves. So thank you very much. That's Kate Deans, nurse practitioner from Polymomy Medical Center, joining me today. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on Hawaii Pub- publicradio.org. Follow the links to our podcast. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and we will see you next week when we talk about more health topics right here on The Body Show. Mm-hmm.